Hi, I'm George Higgins, and you're listening to GrottoPod. This week, we're taking a look at Litquake's event held at Zbelow in San Francisco on April 14th, Tried and True. What's so great about traditional publishing? With so many new paths to publishing, should emerging writers still consider the traditional route? There I stood with fellow Grotto Potter, Susie Gerhard, outside of Zbelow in the city on a windy Sunday morning, speculating. When I first read this title, I wasn't sure if this was pro or anti-traditional publishing. I mean, I think it's pro-traditional publishing, or we're saying why that's still a good idea. Is that what you thought, Susie? I do believe it's pro-traditional publishing, but uh, kind of interesting that we're talking with a whole bunch of wind behind us because the winds of change <laughs> are heading everyone in a digital direction. So be curious to find out what's happening inside. Yeah, so I'm really uh, excited to see what uh, they have to say, and let's go in. Once inside, we spoke to a few participants to get a feel for what they thought was about to happen and why they decided to attend. My name is Heather Grout. I work locally in San Francisco, but I take classes in writing in my spare time and I thought this would be a unique opportunity to kind of explore what's out there for the publishing uh, side of writing. What kind of writing do you do? Right now I'm focused on fiction um, but in the past I've written plays and written for the stage I'm but I'm very curious to kind of find out about publishing on the fiction side. So have you uh, tried non-traditional publishing before and you're looking to make a switch or what, what's particularly interesting about this panel? I think we are a very marketing obsessed culture and it's not what I want to focus on. So kind of filtering through um, the myriad of options out there to figure out what would be the best channel for me to put my energy into. I think in the past I've put uh, spread myself too thin and not really focused on the right avenue. Could you tell me your name and what brings you here to the panel? Sure, my name's Adam and I write and would like to become more of a writer, so I'm always interested in hearing writers talk about their craft. What kind of writing do you do? What's your genre or genres? <laughs> Primarily nonfiction and more in the psychology realm. Interesting. And uh, have you... Uh, tried non-traditional publishing before? Are you looking to make a switch? Well, I have published two books with uh, large publishers and I was unsatisfied with that, so I'm now self-publishing. So I have switched. And so what do you hope to get out of the panel? Just more ideas. People who are doing things differently or new ideas. My name is Ann Kim. Hi, Ann. What brings you to this particular panel? Um, I'm actually going to be uh, having lunch with the Grotto um, on May 1st. Oh, and so I went to one of your uh, podcasts at the San Francisco Main Library when Vanessa Hua spoke. And I have a book coming out. And so I'm trying to learn what it's like to be a writer. Tell us about your book. Uh, what is it? And when's it coming out? And where from? Um, it's called False Claims, although I've just been told by my publisher they want me to change the title, so that's heartbreaking for me. Um, it's coming out from Graydon House, which is an imprint of HarperCollins, and it should be due out in early 2020. 
It is a novel. I think it falls into that category called sort of domestic noir, gone girl, uh, girl on a train, big big little eyes, that, that genre. Your footsteps. I think we're getting ready to Okay, start. thank okay. you. The panelists seem to fall into very distinct categories, depending on the genre they worked in. For instance, Ted Weinstein, a literary agent who focused primarily on nonfiction books, had this to say about the best way to break into traditional publishing with a nonfiction book. Ted, on your website, you have a video, a quick five-minute video, where you talk about, and this kind of goes into the whole marketing question, uh, you say, <clears throat> get famous first. And my question is, are you serious about that? And, and, and if so, how does an emerging writer do that? I mean, how, how big are platforms now? And, and what, what do you think an author has to have? It's maybe if this is specific for nonfiction, I don't know. And what I are your thoughts? I hear this all the time. Uh, authors come to us and say, hey, give me a book deal and then I'll be famous. And the answer is quite the opposite. Now, fame, though, can be, uh, there are lots of different kinds of fame. In the poetry world, you can be a famous poet. You may not be known to my grandmother, but you will be known in the poetry world, folks who might buy the book. Uh, I brought some show and tell here today. Uh, some clients of mine who got famous in very different ways. So Leander Caney actually did his first book on his own. Went to a small tech press. He is an uh, Apple enthusiast. And he worked as a journalist covering Apple, and then he started a site called The Cult of Mac. It was his own blog that grew into a site. In the Apple world, he was very known. So the first book did well, and then for his biography of Steve Jobs, he did one on Johnny Ive, and then this book on Tim Cook comes out actually tomorrow. You know, these books were from a major publisher with major advances because he'd proven his expertise in this particular world. Uh, another example are these two guys, um, Steve Magnus and Brad Solberg. Steve is a runner. He was in high school, ran a four minute and one second mile, and is now a running coach at the University of Houston. No one's heard of him outside of the running world, but he actually self-published a book on running. And that book has done really well. I think he sold 12 or 14,000 copies before he teamed up with Brad and they wrote a proposal for the first of these two books. So in his world, he was famous. There are lots of ways to do that. And then another example is Austin Klan. You may have seen this book, Steal Like an Artist. This actually grew out of a uh, blog post that he just put up. He spoke at a little university, put the presentation on the web, and the world beat a path to his door. So there was 1.6 million views to the presentation. That was an easy book deal to do. And so that became his fame just by getting some wisdom out there. And letting, you know, we all use the phrase, go viral. You can't intend to go viral, but you can be in the right places. Uh, you can hug and smooch a lot of people and try to get them sick with your virality. Um, you should have some intention even if you can't guarantee the results. While Trisha Lowe, a poet and the publicity manager at Small Press Distribution, the only nonprofit literary distributor in the United States, had a different take. In the poetry and small press world, she emphasized the importance of developing a writing community. Yeah, I mean, I think that another way of thinking about it, or what I like to say to a lot of people who are thinking about publishing in general, is like, be a good literary citizen, 
like we're all part of the same literary ecosystem. And I think that, you know, sometimes we think that, you know, working on your manuscript at home is really important, which it is, but what's also really important is being engaged with other people's work. And that's the kind of thing that will develop your readership. So I wrote a lot of reviews as a young poet. You know, I read a lot of other work and I reached out to a lot of people about how much I liked it and what I had to learn from them. And that was something that eventually, as my work came out, developed an audience for me or people, or like a group of people who were either willing to pay back the favor or who were generally interested in conversation with me. And I think that, you know, that that's a really great way not only to develop community, but, but to, you know, develop that readership. Novelist, fiction writer, and moderator, Natalie Bazil added yet a third perspective. She emphasized the importance of getting the work right first before entering the world of agents, editors, and publishers. Keep your head down and do the work, period. Make the work the best work you can make it, and then go out and do this. But, and I think that answers your question too, or at least addresses it. I think you can be the most lovely person in the world, the most, you know, gracious, the warmest, but an agent is going to look at the book, period. So um, I would say invest the time, uh, don't be in a rush, uh, and that's hard. It's hard to be patient and surrender to the amount of time it takes to just write the best book you can write. And then when you think you've written the very best book that you can write, find trusted readers, test it first and see if you get, if they're, if they're reading the book that you think you wrote. Um, and then, you know, it doesn't hurt to find uh, a publisher. I mean, not a publisher, but uh, a freelance editor. But it has to be the right person um, to see things in the work that you might not even be aware of. And then when you've done all that stuff, then you go out and you query. Because the most difficult, the most painful thing in the world, honestly, and I had this experience, was to think you're ready and to get those rejections that say you're close, but you're not there yet. And you're lucky if when you get those rejections, after they've said you're not close, they say, but there's something here. And if you just try to revise one more time, send it back, that's when, you know, because that process can be horrible, right? So make it the best, best, best work you can make it, and then, and then go out <clears throat> into the marketplace. And don't write for the marketplace, Yeah. because that's impossible. You're, you're chasing a moving target. Write the book that you, that's in your heart, that you have to, that, that you have to write. And then, because if you write that book, then you're writing a book that is more singular and that has a point of view and a voice and an interesting story. If you're trying to write for the marketplace, it's one thing this year and it's another thing another year and what do you have, right? Anna Ghosh, an independent literary agent from New York, stressed the importance of doing your homework and being ready whether or not your genre was fiction or nonfiction before sending out that query letter. As far as um, the query letter, it is definitely the, the traditional way in which you approach um, an agent. 
And I think the first thing to think about is whether you're even ready to make that initial query because you're really wasting a lot of time if, if you're not there. And the reason I mentioned how many queries come in is that most of them um, are ones that I will end up ignoring completely um, because there's not enough in them to, um, there's not, there's no indication in them that that, that person is actually ready um, for a book. Um, and, and I think part of it is just the, the technology has become so easy to just send off <coughs> an email that uh, people feel like they're doing something productive to forward their career, but it, it, I'm, not, I'm not sure it's that helpful. Um, most of the clients I do end up taking on come through some sort of referral um, from either previous clients or people that I've met. But I do look at query letters and in fact, um, many of my clients, I did find them um, through an initial query of some sort. Um, what I think I would recommend is that you really thoroughly approach this as a career at the highest level. So you really have to do all your research, really understand whether your book is something that might be published by a major publisher, and then um, get all the ammunition you can, um, anything that sets you apart, um, any awards, any publications, any um, endorsements even from, from other writers, will help your query letter stand out. Beyond that, for fiction and nonfiction, there's completely different categories. Um, one is, um, with nonfiction, you have to have a, a good idea, you have to establish that there's a readership for it, and you have to establish very clearly that you are qualified to write it. Those three things have to be addressed. I won't take up too much time describing that. Um, but for fiction, for me anyway, I'm, when I look at it, I can sense whether there's a writer behind that letter um, in some way. Some, how you describe the book and who you are. Those are the two, two components. Um, voice is one of the things that, that in some way, and how you talk about your book. Um, so a, an query letter should be no more than a page. It should be quick, to the point, and um, it's worth it. Editor Pamela Feinsilber reinforced the notion that you should attend to the work first and most importantly, expanded on a quote from Philip Roth. Can I just add that it's not just to write the book that you, that you want to write, you have to really want to write that book. I think Philip Roth said, if you can find anything else to do, do that. <laughs> Really hard. So, you know, we're, you have to follow your passion. This, if this is your passion project, you just focus on that and don't think too far beyond it. No matter what happens, even if it's not the dream come true of publication, you still won't feel like you wasted your time or you wasted your life. You just have the one life. You know, you need to do it. What you want to do with it. If you want to write, you should, you should write. You should write the story you want to write, the book you want to write, and, and then proceed from there. On our way out, Susie and I made our way to the lobby and summed up with our impressions of the panel. This is Susie Gerhardt here with Grotto Pod, and George and I have been talking to some of the people on this 
excellent panel about traditional publishing, WTF. So, George, what did you think were three of the most interesting takeaways from the panel? Well, as I said before, I came into this wondering about the title. What's so great about traditional publishing? But I guess my biggest takeaway was, first of all, how important it was, at least on the fiction side, to use a cliche, follow your passion, or whatever it was about that creative process that really got you excited, to just focus on that. And then the second thing was to make sure that it was as good as it possibly could be. To use a sports analogy, it's almost like if you're in the minor leagues or a, a beer league or something, make sure that you've honed your skills enough that you're ready for the major leagues. Because if you're going to try to get into the big publishers in New York, you really have to have your game together. And that means maybe joining a writing group or getting a lot of feedback and going through multiple drafts to make sure that this is really top quality. So that was one thing. And then the other thing that I got is that once you've got that end product, there's, there's a path. You know, there are ways to find an agent and make your way forward, get a platform on the internet. So very good uh, panel, but I think the, the bottom line for me was make sure you've got your creative work together. Of course, very different for nonfiction. Yeah, and I'm going to add, even though this may not be in the final podcast, but I am going to add one of the ideas that I loved, which was in um, contradiction to a lot of what the other panelists were saying was Ted Weinstein uh, talking, and this is maybe largely for nonfiction, you know, building your platform, building your area of expertise, um, but not sort of giving away your content for free. So you may have a blog that displays your expertise, builds a following, but that blog won't have the material that's going to be in your book. He also used a, a fun metaphor. Everybody talks about going viral, but he reminded us there's lots of opportunities for kissing and hugging and <laughs> spreading your virus in a number of ways. So that was fun. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you. Susie, there was that real difference between fiction and nonfiction. Cool. This has been fun, George. All right. Great. See you, Susie. Yep. <laughs> and that's our show for today. GrottoPod is produced by Susie Gerhard, George Higgins, Ben Marks, Daniel Pierce, and Beth Weingarner, with help from Kristen Cosby. The music is by Sugar Tan. GrottoPod is concocted in-house at the Writer's Grotto in San Francisco. Please review and subscribe to GrottoPod in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, George Higgins, and thanks for listening. 